Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you, where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked with, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down to the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a garden redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me a shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed a bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happened. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Well, good morning, everyone. Do keep that passage open and I'm going to pray uh, for God's help to understand it. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word to us. And we pray, Lord, that this morning your word would be like that seed that falls on good soil that our hearts would be soft and receptive to all that you have to say to us this morning. Please teach us, please encourage us, and please shape us ever more into the likeness of your Son and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And we pray these things for his name's sake. Amen. Well, as we've seen already, the book of Ruth is full of surprises. We began in chapter 1 with a surprising conversion. Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth was converted. But as we noted that, that that sweet moment of salvation was in stark contrast to her bitter experience. 
If you remember, Naomi left Bethlehem with her family. She left the promised land in favor of the godless land of Moab. And while she was there, she lost her husband and her two sons. All that she held dear to her was stripped away. She went away full, but has come home empty. Yet in God's providence, that painful, bitter period in Moab was not without fruit because God was at work and Ruth was converted. And so at the end of chapter 1, these two ladies return back home to Bethlehem together. And as they do, the question hanging over the text at the start of chapter 2 was this, what would they find? What would these two ladies find back in the promised land? As we saw, the answer to that question was kindness. Ruth chapter 2 is a story of God's kindness. You see, they returned back home with nothing. Their cupboards were empty. Their lives were empty. And so Ruth went into the fields that morning seeking food and seeking favour. And she found it in abundance in the fields of Boaz. Have a look back at chapter 2, if you would, verse 17 and 18. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Lovely scene that is, isn't it? You can imagine Ruth dragging this big sack of grain home, and she she lands it at the feet of her mother-in-law, and so fill that it that it spills over. You see, it's a picture of God's kindness spilling over into the lives of others. And that's one of the main themes that works its way through the book of Ruth, that transition from emptiness through to fullness. But as we'll see in chapter 3, there is more to come. There is more fullness on offer. There is more grace. There is more kindness because Boaz, who we met last week in chapter 2, isn't just a good man with a living faith and a heart for the poor, he is one of their kinsmen, redeemers. And it's that reality that leads to a daring plan and a surprising night. Firstly, the daring plan. Have a look down, if you would, verse 1 through to 4. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on your perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Now, Naomi's motive here in verse 1 is clear. She wants to find a home for Ruth. And when she speaks of a home, she's not talking about a physical building. She's not bothered whether Ruth climbs onto the property ladder in Bethlehem. She's talking about a family. She wants someone to, to care for Ruth, someone that will bring her into that safe environment and provide for her every need. And the man she's identified is Boaz. And from what we saw last week, that is a pretty good choice. But before we talk about the plan itself and the and the wisdom of Naomi's counsel, I think we need to pause for just a moment to make sure we understand what the role of the guardian or the kinsman redeemer was in Old Testament times. 
You see, in those days, family ties were, were probably much stronger than they are today. And if a family member uh, fell into times of trouble, there was this real sense of, of obligation to help, not just with the, the, the immediate family, but with the wider family as well. And if things got really bad, then it was time for the kinsman redeemer to step in. And there were two main parts to his role. Firstly, when, when land and property had maybe been sold to, to pay off debts or to ease poverty, the guardian redeemer could, could buy back that land, back into the ownership of the impoverished family. And secondly, if, if, if a woman was widowed, if she lost a husband, and in that context became incredibly vulnerable, then the kinsman redeemer could marry that woman and so bring her back into that safe environment and continue the family line. And that's exactly what Naomi wants for Ruth. You can almost hear the cogs turning in her mind as this plan is coming together. Have a look again at what she says in verse 3. Wash, put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor. As Alistair Begg says in his commentary, this scene should come with the warning, don't try this at home. That's exactly how I feel as I, as I read these verses because everything I see here cuts against my instincts as a parent. Take a wash, says Naomi, plaster yourself with perfume, put on your best clothes and head out into the night to find your man. That's essentially what Naomi is saying to Ruth. Yet even if the council is somewhat dubious, there are many things to, to highlight and to commend here concerning the faith of Naomi and Ruth. And there's two things that I want to look at in particular. Number one, faith is intentional. It involves reaching out and taking hold of what God has promised. You see, it's easy to question Naomi's tactics, but we cannot question her motives. Naomi wants Ruth to reach out to her Redeemer. And she does so knowing what that Redeemer is like. Boaz, you see, fits the bill. He's a relative. He's a, he's a potential Redeemer. He's a man of standing in the community. He loves the Lord. He has a heart for the, for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. And as we saw last week, there is this huge kindness that's come to him from God that spills out of his life. And so armed with that knowledge, Naomi encourages Ruth to reach out to him as her redeemer. And it's exactly the same principle when it comes to Jesus, who is our perfect redeemer. Of course, Jesus is way more than a man of standing in the community. He's God himself, the Lord of glory, the sovereign creator of all things who stepped down into this broken world. And he came into this world for our sake, to carry our sin to the cross and pay the full penalty for it on our behalf. And God calls us to reach out to Jesus as our Redeemer. And when we do that, he will replace our emptiness with fullness and our sorrow with joy. Firstly, faith is intentional. And secondly, faith is not risk-free. 
Boaz, you see, may have been a pretty reliable character, but this is, this is in the middle of the night. This takes place in the days when the judges ruled, which as we've seen was a time of total anarchy, moral chaos across Israel. And Ruth is heading out into the night. Yet despite those risks and despite the unknowns, Ruth still goes trusting in God. Verse 5 and 6, I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Now as we try and apply that principle to our, our lives this morning, please don't hear me wrong, not all risk is right. There is something that we might call ungodly risk, yet for most of us, that's not the issue. For most of us, we're safe, we're conservative, we're comfortable, we're, we're, we're risk-free rather than risky. I think it was John Wesley who said this, I'd rather have one guy who is red hot, who sometimes needs cooling down, than ten guys who need warming up. His point was a simple one. I'd rather have one man who was red hot for Jesus, on fire for the gospel, full of devotion, willing to take risks, and sometimes get it wrong. I'd rather have one man like that to reign in than ten people who sit there comfortably in their little Christian bubble. The Christian life is not risk-free. Think of all those men and women of faith in in Bible times. People like Abraham who, who left his homeland and all that was familiar to him and he went in obedience to God. Think about Esther who went before King Xerxes in fear and trembling, knowing that it might cost her her life, but she went anyway on behalf of her people. And the Apostle Paul, on a daily basis, his life was on the line for the sake of the cause of Christ. And of course, missionaries throughout the centuries who have who've left their homeland, who have taken that, that step into the unknown, no idea what they might face, no idea what they might lose, but they went trusting in God and they went knowing that God was for them. And when God is for us, then who can be against us? Surely our prayer must be that God would raise up a whole army of believers, pastors, elders, ministry leaders, youth leaders, church members, believers in every corner of this country who are fearless in the face of risk who are willing to count the cost, whatever that may be, for the cause of Christ. Firstly then, we have a daring plan. Secondly, we have a surprising night. Have a look down at verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. And so we wait. And as the minutes tick by, so the the suspense is building. Yet then in verse 8, suddenly we read that in the middle of the night something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. I imagine most of us had one of those moments before when we wake up in the middle of the light and just sense that there's somebody else in the room. And it's a horrible moment which makes you shudder for just a moment until you come to your senses and work out what is going on. And that's what it must have been like for Boaz. 
As he comes out of this blur, he finds a woman lying at his feet. Verse 9, who are you, he asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer of our family. I think it's fair to say that that's probably the most important verse in chapter 3, the key to unlocking this part of the story. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman or a guardian redeemer of our family. The word corner that you see there in verse 9 is the same word translated wing that comes up in chapter 2, verse 12. Have a look at that verse. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings, same word, the corner of the robe, the wings, you have come to take refuge in. You see, it's a picture that speaks of of safety, those little chicks finding safety and refuge under the strong wings of their parents. And so as believers, we take refuge under the wings of the Almighty God. And that's what Ruth is seeking in verse 9. She's seeking safety and refuge. She wants Boaz to take her under her wing and redeem her. You see, what we have before us here in verse 9 is a marriage proposal. Might not be the classic marriage proposal on the, on the threshing floor in the middle of the night. Might not have that same touch of romance as yours possibly did. But of course, there is way more to marriage than that. Verse 10, look how Boaz responds. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. The kindness that Boaz is referring to there is Ruth's kindness to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Not only did she return back to Bethlehem with her, but she provided for her. And not only that, she turned down a number of eligible bachelors in order to marry into Naomi's family and provide refuge for her too. You see, the book of Ruth is no doubt a love story. It is a story of God's immeasurable love for ordinary people like you and me. It is a story of Ruth's love and loyalty towards her mother-in-law, Naomi. And it is a story of Bowers' love and kindness that spills over into the life of Ruth. Look how Bowers continues, verse 11 to 13. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you, but if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. It's interesting here, isn't it, that we, we don't know what Ruth and Boaz look like. There's no reference in the, in the whole story that gives us a, an understanding of their physical description. The author's not bothered about that. The focus is on their character. The focus is on their inner beauty. You can see that in verse 11. 
He's attracted to, to her noble character, which has now become known throughout Bethlehem. And so at the end of verse 11, everything seems to be heading in the right direction, but pause before those wedding invites can go out. There is a small obstacle still in verse 12. We learn that there is another relative who is more closely related than Boaz. In fact, we're going to have to wait until chapter 4 to see if Naomi has to head out to buy her new hat for the wedding. But here's what I want us to notice in verse 13. Boaz was a willing redeemer, which again is another foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, who was the most willing redeemer. He left heaven. He left the glory of heaven willingly. And he came down and lived in this broken, painful and dark world willingly. And he went to the cross and carried our sin there. He went to the deepest, darkest, loneliest place imaginable. And he did that willingly in order that he might redeem us, not from physical poverty, but from spiritual poverty, from our sin and our alienation to God. Jesus died in order to deliver us from that terrible plight. And you know what it cost him? It cost him his own precious blood. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 and 19 says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus is a willing redeemer and he is an able redeemer. His death on the cross was perfectly sufficient to cover every sin of yours throughout time and space and history. And when we understand that, maybe like Ruth, we too will reach out to Jesus as our redeemer. We have a daring plan. And we have a surprising night which comes to an end, look, in verse 14. Because before the sun is up, Ruth is on her way home and Boaz is off into town to the registry office to see if he can redeem Ruth. But as all this is going on, you wonder how Naomi slept that night, don't you? Sending her daughter-in-law out into the darkness. Had she done the right thing? Will Ruth be safe? What would Boaz say? Well, in verse 16... Her prayers are answered. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? You can feel the sense of urgency, can't you, in the question, How did it go? Because, of course, the future of these two ladies depends on the outcome and the answer to that question, How did it go? Then Ruth told her everything Boaz had done for her and added... He gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And so we have another physical picture of a spiritual reality. It seems that Naomi's empty hands will be empty no longer because God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And in the meantime... 
All they need to do is wait, verse 18. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And so we finish with this final lesson in faith, which is this. Faith involves waiting. There is always an element of waiting with faith. It's the and it's the way that it still is. Have a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 22 and 23. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Creation itself is groaning. It is crying out for renewal for that great and glorious day when God will birth a whole new cosmos, a whole new created order. And in the same way, Christians who are indwelt by the Spirit are groaning, waiting eagerly for that great day of renewal. That day when we'll be clothed with our new resurrection bodies. And on that day, we will no longer walk by faith, but by sight. We will see Jesus. We will taste, we will, we will touch, we will experience the full harvest of Christian experience, which God has got stored up for us in glory. But until then, faith involves waiting as we continue to trust in God's promises and in God's goodness. So in summary, faith is intentional. It involves reaching out and taking hold of what God has promised. And the call to you this morning, if you have not done this already, is to reach out to Jesus as your Redeemer and to put your trust in him. Secondly, faith is not risk-free, so please count the cost of discipleship and be prepared to go and to do whatever the Lord calls you to do. And lastly, faith involves waiting. There is a great and glorious hope. There is a world to come. But until that day arrives, we are called to wait patiently as we continue to trust in the promises and the goodness of God. And until that day arrives, where does our confidence lie? Well, it lies in the fact that Jesus is a willing redeemer and Jesus is an able redeemer. So let me leave you with those words from 1 Peter chapter 1 again for you to read through slowly on your own as you ask yourself that question on the screen and then we'll sing together before we close.